Hey, really good friends. This podcast contains adult content and language. Listen with care. Hello. Hello. And welcome. To Historically Really Good Friends. A queer history podcast. I am Rachel Craig. And I'm Jared Femblow. And Rachel, before we even begin... I just want to jump in here. I want to take the floor. Can I tell you something wild that happened to me? Please do. I'm I'm so excited to hear. And maybe wild is the wrong adjective to use to describe the situation. Okay. Maybe it's sad. I don't know. You tell me. Okay. Okay. So before we recorded, I was like, I'm going to make myself some dinner. And so I pop open a White Claw. I'm like, I'm going to have... You know, a tasty little drink from a nice little cold can as I'm making dinner. And I'm like, I'm just going to make vegetables on the stovetop, put it over some rice, right? Okay. It's simple enough. I take the vegetables out of the fridge. I take out a pan. I put it on my stovetop. I have a gas burner stovetop. So just keep that in mind. Okay. I take out the first bag of vegetables, which is asparagus. I take out the first spear. I I drop it, Mm. Butterfingers, I drop it, it falls through the slot of the burner, so it's standing upright, like the (laughs) the bottom half is standing out of it, so I go to grab it, I slip there too, it gets pushed into the (gasps) burner, falls down into the oven, then falls out the back of my oven, which first off feels like it shouldn't happen, so there's a piece of asparagus behind my oven. Yeah, those things don't seem to be connected. I'm so, right. Okay, okay. okay, right. I can't reach my hand down because it's all the way on the floor. And I have, I don't have like one of those like claw things. Like I, of course, want, why, right, would, why you? Would, would Why would I? Why would you? <laughs> so I, so what did I do is the question here. I yeah. took a metal fork and some no. painter's tape. I, oh God, I'm I, trying to, okay. I attached the fork with the painter's tape to the end of a Swiffer. And then I stuck the Swiffer behind my oven and I had to spear a frozen piece of asparagus on the ground and then lift it out with so- the Swiffer all in one swift action. And that is what happened right before we got on. Okay, I have a few questions. Okay. One, did, was it, were you successful? Did you do it? I did after a few tries. Okay. So multiple swift motions. Um, um, well, okay. Well, the, the the fun the fun thing is the Swiffer was too long to fit behind, right. like un, under the hood of the oven and then down. Right. So I had to right. disassemble my Swiffer and then okay. build it back piece by piece to see how long I could make it with that while it still fit. Gotcha. So honestly, I have a I do have another question. Okay. But hearing you describe this, okay. I honestly would have just left the piece of asparagus back there. Well, I thought about that, but that feels disgusting to me. To feel to you, leave but, a piece of asparagus that would thaw out and then get mushy behind. Oh, my that's oven. fair. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. I was gonna say, do you know how much shit is probably like underneath your oven? I do. Just, like, There's a full pepper icky. grinder under my oven. <laughs> And I cannot okay, get I it. Okay, I did not mean that. I did <laughs> not mean that. How do you get so many things stuck behind slash underneath your oven? Butterfingers, baby. 
But a full pepper grinder? How far? I've been in your apartment. How far off the ground is your oven? No, it fell behind it and then rolled under. The issue is there's a gap from the back of my oven to the wall because things are connected. So it has to stick out a little bit. Sure, sure. And things, I have too many things and I don't have enough coordination and things just fall down there. So it's literally, there's been a pepper, like a wooden pepper grinder behind my oven for a year and a half now. That's insane. Absolutely insane. But I got okay. the asparagus. I'm so happy to hear that. My <laughs> other question, because uh-huh. I'm trying to picture the logistics of this in my head, because okay. I am truly enthralled. Is that the correct word? Enamored. I am just both. fascinated by both? this story. You had my attention from the start with <laughs> <Great>. this one. <laughs> so explain to me uh-huh. the the fork and the painter's tape. Like yeah. what order were they in? What purpose mm-hmm. was each of them serving? Please, please walk me through that. Okay, so it was the the handle part of the Swiffer. It wasn't the flat part that you would put oh, the, the sheet on. It was the handle. Sure. So I dis I unattached dis dis yeah. I unattached dismantled dismantled, dismantled I dismantled the patriarchy. Dism- I was going to say dismantle the systems. <laughs> I dismantled the systems. Um, so I took the like flat part off that you used to actually Swiffer, Swiffer. the floor. Then I took the longest fork I had, which is just a normal fork. Right. And I put it on. So if this is the handle, I'm mm-hmm. demonstrating for Rachel, but y'all okay. can't see. So I'm, I, the, this is the handle. And then right. I put the fork like this on top to of the handle. To extend it. To extend it. And then I, sure. and then I taped the painter's tape taped around the fork and the handle to make it sure, one sure. contraption. Sure, sure. To then I, spear. Sure. I was imagining. Mm-hmm. you were using the painter's tape to almost stick oh no sticky, no sticky no no and i was like that seems like it wasn't gonna work and no. then i was like maybe you've used the fork i couldn't picture that thank you for clarifying you're thank welcome you and the the piece of asparagus was frozen i don't know if i said that i might have so it was so i tried the the thick part first and the fork almost came came off of the Swiffer and I was like, oh God, yes. got to adapt. And so I went through the top of it and then slowly lifted it and right. and, and got it out that way. I was going to say asparagus is kind of hard to fork even when yeah. it's fully cooked. I know. You need it like was not an bits. easy not, gal to, to no, hook. No, it's not. And then it gets like stringy towards the bottom when you bite yes. into it. It's disgusting. Why did I make it? I, well, you know what? You learned your lesson. Never make asparagus again. I'm never going to buy it. No, you Dumb shouldn't. Vegetable. I mean, I kind of do love asparagus, but like it kind of only has downsides. Make makes your pee smell. Mm-hmm. Can't. It's hard to fork. Mm-hmm. They're stringy. They're stringy bits. Mm-hmm. It's pretty kind of hard to cook. Like I feel like mm-hmm. it's hard to cook really well, and it gets stuck behind your oven. So <laughs> well, all not if you have a Swiffer fork That's combination. True. You should bring that to Shark Tank. I think I already did, and they did not want it. Oh, the sharks were not. The sharks biting. were out. Okay, the sharks got it. were out. Well, you tried. You tried. Maybe so. I'll try again next season. You know, right? Next season, you'll get them next time. And now that we're over seven and a half minutes wow. into this podcast already, wow. apologies at this point. This I, is no, a. I'm not sorry for any of it. I'm not sorry for one second of that seven be. and a half minute. Don't be. So, this for those who are just joining us <laughs> who skipped once they heard me start talking this is a queer history podcast where we tell yes. you about historical queer people places and things we do attempt to yes sometimes occasionally do we feel like do we feel like we need more of an opener or or 
or do we feel like that was enough to to get us into it? I feel like that was enough. That really put me in the mindset for some queer history. I I don't know why, but that you mm-hmm. perfectly hooked me. Again, I've been enthralled. I've been Great. enamored. I've Great. been fascinated. Wow. So please continue taking me on that journey. Okay, so let's yeah, let's just keep going. Then. Okay. We'll just we'll just, just vibe roll, with, roll it. with it. Roll with roll it. Roll with the momentum. Great. So the next question I'm going to ask you is completely unrelated. Okay, good cuz I was scared. I don't I can't answer any more asparagus related questions. Um no, uh Rachel, do you have a lucky number? I do. What I do. Is it? Yes. It's 6. Oh, and why? Can you share? I can share. I think it's interesting because lucky numbers often fall between 1 and 10, mm-hmm. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Um my lucky number is 6 because in elementary school um you know when you get assigned numbers based mm-hmm. on your last name mine was always six um six and your last name is a c how many C-R, a's and yeah. b's there was mainly a mainly a lot of c's mm. c a through p mm-hmm. okay so six six is your lucky number so because it was assigned to you number. yes yeah Great. i don't know and i just it gives me good vibes i like six i don't know okay amazing now follow-up question mm-hmm. do you have an unlucky number no, I know that like threes are unlucky, but I wouldn't say that I have an unlucky number. Okay, interesting. Because this week, I'm going to be telling you about Mexico's traditionally unlucky, taboo, and avoided number 41, all because of an event that happened on November 17th, 1901, called the Dance of the 41. Okay, I mean, I don't, I honestly cannot tell, I've never heard of this, I can't tell you how it's related to queer history, so I'm ready, I'm ready to learn. Great, maybe these sources will will give you a little peek behind the curtain. Okay. So, the sources I used this week for this 41-based story are... (laughs) 41 has a secret meaning in Mexico thanks to a queer underground ball by Thaddeus Morgan for History.com. Dance of the 41, scandalous Mexican drag ball in 1901 at Secret Club inspired Netflix LGBTQ film by Yasmin Tinwala. Such a long title. Such a long title. Los 41, or however you say 41 in Spanish, the queer dance party that changed Mexico by Brendan O'Boyle. Dance of the 41 Wikipedia and LGBTQ plus history in Mexico Wikipedia. All right. So I did get a little hint by what you're talking about, but I'm really excited to right, hear it was, all of the scandal. It was the broad strokes, but we're going to get into the right. details of this story. Amazing. So on the evening of November 17th, 1901, under the shaky governmental control that would soon lead to the Mexican Revolution... 41 men, possibly 42, gathered under the cover of night at a private home in Mexico City to attend a party. As parties usually do, the noise levels increased as the fun grew, and a nearby neighbor called the police to have the party shut down. And let me tell you, I live on a street where people Mm. have been playing mariachi until 2 o'clock in the morning, and it sounds like it's in my bedroom. So (laughs) I am on the side of this neighbor. I'm like, okay, shut it down. We do not need to be partying this late into the the morning. (laughs) Right, right. You're a narc. Right, we get it. Right, right. Sure. I, I, Fine. I, fair. Fair. Okay. So, when the police arrive around 3 a.m., which is t- so late. Sure. 
What they find isn't just a normal old house party that they can shut down and send everybody home. Instead, what they find are 41 unaccompanied men, meaning without wives or girlfriends, as you would expect at a party, but 41 men dancing together in pairs, half dressed in formal suits and the other half dressed in elegant dresses, wigs, Hmm. jewelry, false breasts, and makeup. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Scandal. Scandal. So that's how one version of the story goes, but another and more realistically the actual version is that the police were tipped off Mm. about this party and raided it on suspicion that men are dressing as women and there's some, you know, like homosexual activity afoot. Right. Or what they might have called at the time a quote-unquote gross show of indecency, which is like shocking because it's in a private home. Yeah, and you know, we've been doing this podcast, I don't know, for 47 weeks now, I think. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just still can't wrap my head around how, around the way people dressing being like, a need to call the police. Like, it's none of quick, your business. 911. <laughs> someone is wearing a skirt. Like, right. I, I, and I really don't mean to make light of the situation, but I genuinely have a hard time wrapping my head around how that's necessary. Like, right. oh, there's kitten heels at this party. We must call the <laughs> call police. Call the police. That's a valid reason, though. R- a right. A kitten heel is a valid reason. Absolutely. Get a stiletto or a wedge, honey. We're yeah. throw away the kitten heels. Yeah, let's come on. That's yeah, fair. So on. maybe it is a valid reason. It's that's why they're calling the a police. Valid reason. Yeah, exactly. You're out of style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so apparently, there were numerous attempts by the partygoers to escape the venue, but mm-hmm. all of them are unsuccessful, and all 41 men are then detained by the police. So, I mean, that's not a great thing that happens. Not great. Parties like these in early 20th century Mexico aren't all that rare, though. You know, like having all men or all women attendees. Now, in the late 19th century, 1871 to be exact, Mexico introduces a new penal code, which gives forth the, quote, attack on morality and proper customs, which is a concept allowing judges and police to discriminate against queer people despite the crime of sodomy ceasing to exist years prior. So amazing. So they're just like, we don't like that we weren't, that we're not able to openly discriminate against you so we're gonna say we can right so we're gonna make something else that then allows us to that says we can cool cool. it's like a loophole basically right good so great and so therefore because of this new penal code that is like unjustly used to discriminate against queer people queer subcultures are born and grow in places like mexico city both Mm -hmm. underground in private places but also in bathhouses and prisons and even some like random streets and and squares in the capital right so the like tldr of all of that is that queer people would gather in private residences hosting these parties or drag balls as some might label them to escape the country's discrimination and disapproval of sexual diversity of the time Mm-hmm. Sources also explain these parties in a variety of ways, some saying that they were used for trans men and women to exist in a social setting, and some say that like a handful of parties were just costume parties, which may have you know just been a justification used to not explicitly say it's a party where trans people can like be right. trans so right. it sort of seems to like range how these gatherings were taken or explained, mm-hmm. but I'm sure like any of these could really be the case Applied. for these. yeah. 
Some sources, when reporting on this like scandalous event in the newspapers, even claimed that the men in attendance entered a sort of raffle to win a night with a male escort by either the name Pepito or the pseudonym The Curly Mustache. So Ooh. it's like a complete counterculture event happening at these parties versus like the outside world that's really conservative and right. you know quite religious like a quite religious right. country it's like the equivalent of like a fun pta tricky tray where like you actually win fun prizes instead of like a manicure you know absolutely and but it's private and no one needs to know what's happening but people are exactly. sticking their noses where they don't belong where they don't belong right right so a large gathering of queer people is happening. Police burst into this house and raid the party and quite quickly detain all of the men in attendance. And that's pretty much the entirety of what the event is. Mm -hmm. However, there are a few things that I find incredibly interesting about this night. First, of all the men detained, out of all the men that attended this party, none of their names are ever revealed to the public. Okay. The reason for this is believed to be that the men, all from upper echelon of Mexico mm. society, or at least most of them, had the social status and influence over the authorities, whether that be in the form of a monetary persuasion or a mm -hmm. secure job or really anything. Mm -hmm. And so because they're members, they're men of high society, right. their names can't get out there. They cannot be found right. out about their sexuality and about what they're doing. So they're basically securing their privacy from this right. event. So none of their names are ever released. Okay, very interesting. I think it's interesting to think that all of them were participating in this like high society. I wonder if some of it was like protecting themselves and others. I wonder mm -hmm. if like people who had the power to release the names whether it was journalists or police officers or whoever were also in attendance. Like, there's so many questions that yeah. that brings up for me. So in some of the articles that I read, it did say that there was sort of this meshing of classes, but it doesn't right. ever explicitly say because we don't know who was there. So right. we don't know on this specific night who was in attendance. Was there, there are some theories about some people, but there was never like an explicit part saying it was all right. ever right. only men of upper society and never right. you know anybody else it does seem like there was kind of this mix of class right. status but but it was never revealed who it was and therefore we can never know like we can the speculate real re right right as we have done so many times before we love on the to show we it's love our to favorite speculate. pastime <laughs> right and so the second thing that I find really intriguing is that in the beginning, I mentioned there might have been 42 men in attendance. Mm -hmm. Initial reports state that there were 42 men, which was then amended shortly after to report that there were only 41 men. There seems to have been some disagreement as to whether the 42nd man ever existed or if he got away while partygoers tried to escape the police. Right. And the rumor is that the 42nd man was none other than Ignacio de la Torre, who was the son-in-law of President Porfirio Diaz, and Ignacio was married to the president's daughter, Amada. Oh. So there was some speculation that because of politics, if he was there and right. he was found out, he needs to be wiped from all records and existence and cannot be found because that would then ruin the politics of his father-in-law right. and everything that right. 
the president basically had going for him, which was like a lot of bad things from what I understand. Right. And we're on the verge of a revolution at this point. Right. So, so now my question is in your research, did you find like why him specific, like why was there speculation about him specifically? That's the interesting thing. I did not find any sources that were explicitly able to link him to this party. Okay. It may have been a political thing. It may have been like a, you know, this is the, it's like, it's just like the bigger the scandal, the bigger attention it gets and the more people are pulled into it. And it, it, Ignacio had some, uh, same sex relationships and partnerships, especially with, um, um zapata i believe his name was if you remember the um emilio robles episode mm-hmm. he fought for zapata who was basically right. the revolutionary and it seems like right. ignacio ended up having some intimate intimate relationships right. with zapata after he eventually divorces amada so it, it seems like there oh, was wow. some okay. personal things about him that kind of could have made it true but there's nothing right. that like says he was exactly like there and yeah and then participating right. interesting okay yeah so have by having this rumor that he escaped or that he was never there means that there was at least 41 people there right. and so the the party and and this night is titled the dance of the 41 in the press which like completely rocks society and it becomes yeah. the headline of almost like every publication like publication after publication and people are half disgusted and half fascinated by the event and like all celebrity gossip they want to know more right right i can only imagine and to get one thing straight, the people of Mexico at this time are frightened by homosexuality. Like, that, yeah. it is what it is. And especially around this time, there's this, like, ever-present fear that's, like, rapidly growing. You know, being queer is extremely looked down upon, and people are getting really upset thinking that anybody they know could be queer and that nobody's safe. Right, right. However, there's no laws saying that men can't cross-dress. There's no rule like the U.S. eventually has saying that you have to wear three pieces of gendered clothing. There's nothing that states or labels like what's acceptable or unacceptable for a man to wear. But the public is becoming a bit restless. Like, why haven't these complete sinners been punished? You have them detained. What are you going to do? Right. It's like, what can they do? So in an act of appeasement... Then Governor Ramon Corral authorizes punishment against these men instead of trying to throw them into the court system. Because realistically, there's no way that they can bring these men to court and try them in a place of law and win. So instead of like... So he's just like, oh, you can have them. Yeah, he's he's pretty much like detain them and do what you want with them. Like it's a, it's a special exception it's a special like case to yeah the law. you can you can punish them That's like bananas yeah it's it again not great yeah it's not great it's not great i it's mean not there's great. nothing much more we could say about that that's not that's not great no so here's what happened all 41 men are taken to jail okay just like they're what you know they're allowed to punish them so all 41 men are taken those that were found in drag or presenting in a femme way so about 19 or 20 of them are ordered to sweep the streets in their feminine attire a punishment that would become pretty routine after these raids so like public embarrassment basically jesus i mean that's like straight out of game of thrones like i hate that 
Okay, didn't know that. I don't. Yeah, like Game have you seen like the? That. Have you seen the like shame? Whatever the. Mm-hmm. That shame. That. Yes, shame. That, that scene is what I'm thinking of. Yes, so it's basically that. And so it's basically right. forcing these men out into their, like, neighborhoods in drag right. to be like, right. we know that you're there. However, right. the names are still concealed. People don't talk. I don't know what right. happens, but it's but like. people at the time must have known. But for some reason, there's no record of this. Correct. Then, after this public embarrassment happens, all 41 are sent to Yucatan by train where they're forced to support and assist the Mexican army fighting against Mayans in the caste war. That's like still happening at this point. They're almost like prisoners of war. It's conscription. They're basically saying you have to sign up for the Mexican army and we don't, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. So like you, you will die for Mexico despite being faced with public humiliation. Kind of because these 41 men are not able to take up arms. Oh. But instead, they're ordered to complete tasks such as sweeping floors, digging trenches, cleaning okay. toilets, and like public work efforts in retaken towns that the war had affected. Okay. They're just like extra hands because they're basically right. like, you're not man enough to fight in this war. Sorry about it. Like, what do you want? This is the most <laughs> confusing part. So I, I feel like they were on the fly. Like, we need to figure out what to do with these people, but we genuinely have no idea. So we're just going to be as contradictory as possible. Because it wasn't technically illegal to be queer from what I read it wasn't there was no law being like you can't be gay and sodomy wasn't a crime anymore at this point so it was kind of like people in power being like well we still believe in those things but because it's not in the law like we're kind of making it up not to yuck your yum or anything but like yuck 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 yeah yuck go clean some toilets and like that'll make me feel better right and so they do. That's what. They, that's exactly what they do. And then are they like, fr- like released from this at any point? And like, can they go back to their lives? We don't really know because just, in okay. the following tumultuous years after this raid and many others of the sorts, you know, many other raids similar to this one, the events of the Dance of the Forty One is sort of like lost in the shuffle and forgotten. Okay. Yes, there are plenty of publications and coverage of the event. But they were all destroyed and near banned from being covered further because Mm. of the level of influence that these men have. But there was a lot more in terms of like war to focus on. So it less became a sensationalized headline because they were like, it's wartime. Like, here's what's happening. Here's what you need to know. So it kind of just On to the next thing. Yeah, it fades into the background and we don't really have much information. It sounds like after these men were at these, you know, in these towns and doing this work, it seems like Mm -hmm. they they would have been able to go back to their lives and and return. It seems like it was just like a short sentence of doing this thing. But we don't have, But there's no follow-up, really. No, they were kind of like, who really cares? We don't need to, you know, keep track of these guys. Well, little do they know that Jared Van Blow and Rachel Craig care very deeply and are trying to tell this story here in 2023. And they're making it very hard in 1901 or whatever it was to tell the story in 2023. A hundred years ago, how dare they not be thinking about us? How dare they? (laughs) So, like I said, news of this event eventually dies down, but this night and this scandal has a significant impact on 20th century Mexican culture and society. 
So moving forward, the numbers 41 and 42 are adopted by Mexican slang and pop culture to refer to gay men, with the number 42 specifically meaning a passive gay man or a bottom. And as described by essayist Francisco El Urquizo in 1965, quote, no division, regiment, or battalion of the army is given the number 41. From 40, they progress directly to 42. No payroll has a number 41. Municipal records show no houses with the number 41. If it cannot be avoided, 40 biz is used. Don't know what that means, but... It's not 41. I don't know either. Oh my gosh. No hotel or hospital has a room 41. Nobody celebrates their 41st birthdays, going straight from 40 to 42. No vehicle is assigned number plate with 41, and no police officer will accept a badge with that number. End quote. That is shocking. Like, I I don't know. I just can't. um, That's so shocking to me. So while it's not as intense as some past subjects we've studied where it's it's death instantly you know for being gay it's like these men do face a punishment but then it's more so that it has a cultural impact so severe that people are like the number 41 it's like our number 13 right friday the 13th right the 41st there's no floors right there's no like hotel floors that are 13 there's no right so things like that and i don't even know where that comes from for us superstition yeah i guess it is i that is so shocking to me that it still like permeates like i wonder if you ask people who are living in mexico now like about the number 41 Mm -hmm. like if culturally they know the story or if it's just like kind of how we have just like a superstition around the number i find it so fascinating it it is wildly fascinating because kind of like i mean you were almost there as the decades go by the avoidance of the number 41 passes from generation to generation with people eventually avoiding the number in a strangely homophobic way without even knowing why they're doing it right so it has become such a bad number just in general that people are like no 41 but they don't understand that the dance like of the, the 41 of right. is why they avoid the number 41. So this all started like after that in 1901 or 1902. All of this avoidance Correct. of 41. After this night, wow. after this made headlines, after people were like obsessed, it was right. sensationalized. The number 41 was just like, nope, no, no, just, no. like forgotten about completely. And that's the thing is that when all of the documents were destroyed about the night and about the men that were in attendance, all of that information fades away. But the number 41 remains because everyone talks about the 41 men. It was 41, 41, 41. So then the 41 just becomes this like egregious number in culture and they stop using it pretty much wherever they can. Kind of ironic because like it might not have even been 41. Right. It might have been 42. Right. So like, that's just funny. Right. Funny and so too. that's just how it evolved. Right. However, and and this is one thing that all of my sources seem to point out. So I'm going to throw it into our conversation now is that by 1920, so 19 or 20 years after this event mm-hmm. happens, queer people in Mexico, including a lot of public figures, begin identifying openly as queer as mm-hmm. the country is emerging from this complete cultural transformation following the Mexican revolution. Right. And so it's like this strange shift 
goes right, from exactly. completely homophobic. I mean, right. it doesn't just go away because, you know, like, woo, right. poof, you know, snap your fingers and it's better. But I mean. But there was this sort of sexual revolution around that time. Like, that's when yes. we talked about subjects like Frida Kahlo, Frida Kahlo. and things like exactly. that. Yeah. And so that sort of homophobia with this event dies down, but then the number remains. The number remains, yeah. And it's so interesting because as a lot of queer Mexican people um, were writing in a lot of these articles, the dance of the 41 is one of the first events that make queerness visible, especially Mm -hmm. in an act of community, even if it wasn't maybe in the most positive light. And so many historians consider the dance of the 41 to be the introduction or the invention of modern homosexuality in Mexico, citing the display of queerness as a turning point in mass nationwide culture. Interesting. And so nowadays, many queer Mexicans have reclaimed the number 41, using it to connect to their queer ancestors and wear the number as a badge of strength and honor. And that that is the dance of the 41 and Mexico's unlucky, maybe lucky number 41. Thank you for sharing that, Jared. I feel like it's definitely lucky. Maybe that's my new lucky number. I think it has to be. Because again, I feel like one through 10, everybody falls in one through 10 with their lucky numbers. Who says it has to be that way? Exactly. But I think that story is so interesting and really does show how homophobia can permeate our culture without even a recognition of where it comes from and how something a hundred years ago can still be so incredibly relevant to today. Yeah. Um, And why kind of talking about the history of that is so important. And when... I said the part about how people still avoid it or maybe mm-hmm. less now, but avoid it without knowing the the reason behind it. I, I right. was going to say it's almost like when when we were in middle school and people would call things gay. Yes. Because it was yes, passed yes, down. Yes. It's not exactly the same thing, but it's passed down from our parents' generation. But right. we don't you understand. Hear something and repeat it. Right. So at that time we're like, oh well, gay gay means strange or weird. Right. So you don't really understand the origin of the word or the true meaning. And so you just say things are gay or, you you know, you do these things without even realizing it. And then it just becomes normalized and part of conversation and colloquialisms and just like the conversation. And and then it just stays until people make a conscious effort to, to not do that. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think one plays into the other, like the language that we use plays into our attitudes and our attitudes play into our language. So in the example you gave, or in the superstition around 41, right? Like, when you do find out what the meaning behind it is, that can play into your attitudes about how you feel about queerness and how you feel. So I think it's really important to dispel some of those myths or those rumors or superstitions so that those kind of continued beliefs we have don't play into our attitudes right right and one thing that i do want to mention before we wrap this whole whole shindig up is that there is a movie called the dance of the 41 or something along those lines it is apparently i I haven't seen it um some of the articles i read were uh, about the movie came Mm -hmm. out in 2019 or 2020 i believe and it is focused on ignacio and him being the 42nd person there so it is um 
not fully historical accuracy, but takes right. a lot of liberties. Um, so, you know, watch it at your own risk. Watch it if you'd like. Um, yeah. But I just thought I would mention that it exists and it's there and it's about a queer person. So definitely add it to my viewing list. Yeah, add it to your watch list and yeah. let us know what you think. Definitely. Well, thank you for sharing, Jared. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to episode 47 of Historically Really Good Friends, where we talked about the dance of the 41. This is your weekly reminder that acknowledging the queerness of our history makes partying until 3 a.m. a little bit more fun. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening right now. And to see photos from this week's episode, make sure you check out our Instagram, at Historically Really. We hope to see you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.